Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Today, we have a very special program because we're looking at electricity from the point of view of people who provide it. What are the stresses? What are the struggles, particularly in this time of pandemic? And to guide us through the labyrinth, which is the production and delivery of electricity, we have Paula Gold Williams, who is the distinguished chief executive officer and president of CPS Energy, which is the energy company of San Antonio, Texas. Paula, welcome to the broadcast. And we might as well start where I started, and that is, what are the special strains that COVID-19 has put upon your utility? Oh, my. So, um, you know, 2020, we're happy to see it go, but we, we know that we're still living with the pressures of it as, as the vaccine is now being made available. But, but one of the additional uh, challenges we have is that it's gonna take a while for our utility to be in line behind, of course, first responders, medical professions, uh, police and fire, those kind of things. Um, but we, here we are, most of our workforce, uh, more than 50% of our workforce are frontline employees, a lot of which are out in the field. And so we have to be very, very careful that we keep them healthy. They have the interactions with our, with our customers who are feeling the impacts of COVID-19 from a health perspective and from an economic perspective. Many of them have lost their jobs, um, really have a lot of uncertainty as we move into 2021. We have great programs. We have not done a disconnect since uh, March of last year. We believe that that needs to continue, particularly as we enter the 2021 uh, year. So it's just constant trying to figure out how we can be helpful. We, we now call them uh, customers and now we are approaching uh, 50,000 customers that we have been able to, to ultimately reach with proactive phone calls. They can still call us, but we can help them with programs that we have, programs from around the community, CARES funding, all of those things that we do with our partners. But, but it's just one of those things where we're having to constantly adjust. Now, um, Paula, you mentioned disconnects. Disconnect is when you haven't paid your bill and the utility has no other option if it wants to get paid but to cut you off. You're not doing that anymore, uh, not doing it at the moment, and who knows for the future. How is that impacting your operations and your cash flow? Well, we, we believe that the health of the community financially and just generally, everything's a, a reflection of what actually also impacts us. So as customers cannot pay, then we are, our bad debts and our receivables are currently going up uh, significantly. Um, and so from that standpoint, we are in turn also experiencing financial pressures to our bottom line. We haven't lost significant amounts of money. Uh, in our history, and we believe that we'll be operating at a net loss for this year and next year, which is not necessarily sustainable. That said, again, um, the only way for us to get healthy is to help help citizens think about how to get programs and assistance and help them get back on their feet. So again, we, we are putting our customers in front of us the way they should be. They're our beacon but we in turn are feeling a lot of the cumulative pressures that are also are happening in our community. Will it be right to say that you are a mid-sized utility in a mid-sized Texas town and that it has some unique things by which we know it, the Alamo, 
and the very beautiful river walk right through the center of the downtown. Uh, anything else we should know that fits you into San Antonio and for that matter makes San Antonio distinctive and different? Well, Llewellyn, I think um, Midside is, is generally a, a good description because you have mega cities like uh, New York and Los Angeles. But I will still say we're the seventh largest city in the United States. And um, our population in Texas continues to grow and then San Antonio continues to grow. So we have some of the additional pressures in, in a good way that we have more people coming to San Antonio and we have to solve a lot of these current problems. So this is, this is a challenge. And maybe the last thing I'll say is we have a dubious uh, title of being the poorest large city. The, the demographics in San Antonio have always been stressful. And so we have a large amount of customers that have problems even uh, constantly, even without the impacts of COVID. So we believe that we have to be exceptionally sensitive uh, to the growth, but also the general needs of the average citizen in San Antonio. Now, your utility differs from others in that it's owned by the municipality. This is actually fairly common in Texas, but not elsewhere. I think Brownsville and uh, uh, Austin are cities that the, where the municipality is, in fact, the last governing straw, as it were, of the utility. And that's true of yourselves. Why is that in Texas that we have these uh, municipally owned utilities as opposed to the rest of the country where they're either for profit or some other public arrangement? Texas is a, is a very unique uh, city. Every city had the option to, to make sure that it could either opt into a broad network or it could own its own energy future. And so 78 years ago, the citizens of San Antonio supported by the city council decided that they wanted to buy the local energy company. And um, we have served this community uh, for 160 years. And so it really, really knew that it, it could handle that, that ownership. And that ownership includes being able to generate the power, transmit it through transmission lines, distribute it and serve. And that has just been a conscious decision uh, in San Antonio and multiple other uh, cities across Texas. But there is a difference. Not every municipally owned utility actually owns its own generating fleet of power. And San Antonio has always owned uh, its power and it has enough capacity to serve all the needs of San Antonio. And then we put out our excess capacity to the state of Texas, which again is unique because not only do we support our city, we support the reliability of the state. How many customers do you have? First for electricity, and I know you also sell gas, so tell me that as well. Well, we have probably over 860,000 uh, electric accounts, um, and we have over approaching 400,000 gas accounts. We're serving a metropolitan area that's approaching 2 million people. And you, like other utilities, are trying to go green, uh, or certainly greening yourselves up as fast as possible. But there, there's tremendous pressure, particularly from environmental groups, not that we're again saying environmentalism in any way at all, but who don't really understand that you can't switch off what has been for what should be. 
Yeah, so the, the first thing I want to say is we understand our uh, place in helping to evolve the, the overall industry, the utility energy industry, and we absolutely support the full decarbonization of the industry and, and not just um, what happens at the utility companies, but broadly across the globe in every single industry, it's really important that we're all working towards decarbonization. So there is no fight from CPS Energy. We absolutely believe that climate is a real perspective. And in fact, one of our major value pillars is to focus on increasing environmental responsibility. The real challenge that we have is that if we are not careful, um, I think broadly across the globe and particularly in San Antonio, again, where we have a wide and diverse balance of customers, we wanna be careful not to cause the change that's so disruptive. Um, some people call it a jagged disruption where you have extremes of uh, things that are the pricing comes down, that's great, but then the pricing goes up. So you can end up in this roller coaster that you put your customers in where there's a lot of price spikes and bill shocks and other challenges, including reliability issues. They, the problem that we have today is that solar is a wonderful mechanism for uh, not emitting any, any um, things into the air. Uh, any any toxins, any any problems and pollutants. However, it is still not a perfect technology, and, and there's probably none that's perfect today. You still have to have challenges with being able to repower that renewable energy source with the, with the impressions and the issues around uh, bad weather, time of day, all of those challenges. So, bill shock and. Um, the reliability issues. You don't want to cause rolling blackouts. And we've seen some of that in California, which has been, we, we study how complicated that has been. There have been many contributors to it, but some of it has to do with making changes to remove baseload plants um, for, for policy reasons, but not yet, not really thinking about the performance that you need from these systems. We have this situation where the primary contenders for new carbon-free electricity are solar and wind, but they're both intermittent. Are you doing something quite dramatic, I understand, and that is you're trying to purchase an additional, on top of 600 megawatts, which is a lot of solar power that you have now, you're going to buy another 900 megawatts. That's one huge power purchase. Uh, and you're going to have to back it up because the sun doesn't always shine. And that's where you've gotten really creative by putting out a request for proposals, a standard sort of industry procurement uh, setup, uh, to buy something you don't know what it is yet, which is firm power at the time when the sun is not shining. And you've gotten, I understand, more than 200 expressions of interest and some fascinating ways of essentially storing the electricity including batteries, but going way beyond batteries. Tell me about it, please. Well, well absolutely. I mean, at the biggest thing that uh, is the news is that we're out exploring across the globe. We, we often say that we think global and act local. Um, the 200 responses we got were, were associated with our initial request 
where we were asking people, and, you know, from an information perspective, what's available out there. And um, the technologies around long duration storage are coming. And they're, they, um, the, the issues around lithium ion batteries are, they're, they're very prevalent and they really help in terms of fast response. But in terms of long duration beyond four hours, that technology really doesn't do enough. When you think about baseload plants, and, and yes, primarily they're fossil fuel plants, and in Texas, uh, the prevalence is in, in gas, you're talking about a technology that can run 24-7 day after day after day. What we saw in our initial RFIs are different types of technology. That's requests for information. Requests for information, yes was that you could get to storage that maybe as long as a day or maybe even 48 hours, but that doesn't necessarily always help you because you need more than that. There have been studies done in Cal on, on California and in Texas. As much as the sun shines in our state, there are periods where you can go up to nine days in a year without enough, enough renewable source of energy to be consistently supplying all the energy that is needed. So what it means is you don't have enough quality production of solar, which is interesting, or wind, and they don't, they don't automatically offset each other. They're, they actually, wind, for example, um, flows better in Texas at night, uh, particularly the West Texas wind. And so all of those things you have to think about in, in terms of finding that long duration storage, but we're hopeful. And we believe from a global perspective, um, which, which actually includes a lot of responses uh, from the United States and within Texas, we believe that people are making a lot of progress and it gives us an opportunity to figure out, can we invest more in these new technologies and get closer and closer to the coverage that we need? You, technology needs continued investment. And that's why this is important that we, that we try to bundle the value and that we try and incent these new technologies that are developing, while at the same time understanding that gas, natural gas, is still a huge transition fuel that helps us figure out how to keep everything in balance. I find it interesting that although Texas is the uh, hydrocarbon capital of the earth, almost, uh, probably is, nonetheless, it's been very progressive with huge wind installations and now more and more solar. So very soon Texas is going to be the cutting edge of uh, new technologies making electricity. How has that come about? What has been the driver to get Texas so easily satisfied with its own production of natural gas and for that matter oil uh, to turn the corner and go towards wind and solar with such energy well look i think you know texas in itself can, you know can be you know uh seen as an equivalent to a country and um we believe in the the ability to optimize our sources of energy we long uh have a long-term history of really being able to optimize as you say oil and gas but we're very innovative uh, across our state in terms of looking at the resources that we have and figuring out how to keep blending. And so I think you'll find even in the oil and gas industry, they're looking at um, different ways to also decarbonize 
their investments and to think about the progress that they're going to make. Their journey is going to look different than everyone else's, but they very much are thinking about how do they how do they do uh, certain things associated even with capturing the carbon and sequestering it. And and again, that's we've been talking about that for a very long time. But the real point is that there's new innovations that can come in that industry as well. So we, you know, all Texans kind of think about what can we be doing to optimize what we have and think about our future. And I, I think it actually makes a, a ton of sense that you also see this investment in wind. We're very already very um, heavily invested in wind and naturally because of our orientation and how sunny it is in Texas, how much solar is going to continue to pick up. What's lagging it from, from a state perspective is the investment again in batteries and energy storage. It's coming, but again, we need, we need investments across the energy technology spectrum to make it all optimal. In your quest for storage, are you hoping for some huge breakthrough to become de facto the leader of the utility industry and storage of electricity? Uh, is that a hope or is that a likely consequence? It's both. Um, it, it, it is critical to the actual goals that from across the globe and for decarbonization that long duration storage or technologies around um, continuous production of energy continues to be innovative. It's, it's a requirement. Solar's great, but it needs to be complemented by another source. As you said, you got to firm up that capacity to make it happen. And again, we're starting to see more and more investments in, in things that we haven't even seen before. And that's, I think, what, did, what is so exciting, right? I mean, for a while, there were flow batteries that, that you saw out there. You're going to continue to see that, or geothermal, those kind of things. But I also believe that there are technologies we haven't even seen that are continue to get developed over time absolutely critical and will be the result of additional focus on this challenge. You mentioned that San Antonio has a very large poor population. It is not uh, the Texas success story universally. Uh, financially, many families in San Antonio struggle and many individuals struggle. What can the utility do to reach out to them and to begin to ameliorate that situation? We've had a long-standing history of helping our customers. We have a program, for example, um, Residential Energy Assistance Partnership that we have with our owner, the city of San Antonio and Bear County. And that program has been out there where we, we look at the income qualification of customers and really try to figure out how to get them more credits, benefits, and service. That program looks at the ability to, to lower a person's bill and obligation that comes out of their pocket. We also have, a, we put in money into that program directly at CPS Energy every single year. We also have customers from around San Antonio that have a big heart. We, we believe that San Antonio is always just two degrees of separation. So we have a lot of people who contribute into it. The CARES Funds Act, we can't get them directly as a, as a utility that is um, owned by the city of San Antonio. It's the city of San Antonio and the county that have to get those. But our partnerships help us tremendously in helping our customers. We also partner with United Way programs. There, we also had a dubious um, picture 
that ran across the globe, um, our food lines were extremely long in San Antonio as COVID was hitting. And so we partner with the Food Bank and other United Way programs because we actually believe that there's a holistic view that we have to be part of the solution to help customers. I mean, I'm from San Antonio and born and raised here. And I, you know, my, my family very much um, hit periods where we were challenged in terms of not having enough income and my parents not having uh, the opportunity of education that I had. And so it, it means a whole lot to me to remember the things that we went through to, to help others. And our employees have this, this huge heart for their, our community. And they in turn do all they can to be helpful, to make sure again, that we're proactively um, looking at even you know programs like Nextdoor, when we see things on Nextdoor where, where a customer is um, struggling, we do our best to find them, reach out to them and see how we can be helpful. Our energy advisors, again, um, they tell you these, these heart-wrenching stories and they in turn, again, make sure that they'll look up um, information and resources that they'll help people walk through how to get assistance, not just at CPS Energy, but other places. And, and it's been, it's been heart-wrenching, but it's also been fulfilling. Uh, one of our employees has gotten two marriage proposals because Again, they, they, we have customers that, that have appreciated the fact that we think about them in terms of being our family and the need for us to think more than what their energy needs are, but what they, what they personally need. Did you uh, get called upon to help make that decision between the marriage proposals? <laughs> well, to keep his, keep his real spouse <laughs> from <laughs> come to work every day. Yes, uh, I, I was very supportive of him, you know, just lightly turning that that offer down. But, um, but you know, the, in, in many ways, you know, they are, they, they, re they report to another one of our senior executives, Rudy Garza, and we're constantly wanting to hear their stories, and we want them to share them. And we also share them on our on our blogs and website. Again, we want San Antonio to know that there is a tremendous amount of help out there. But the real point is to communicate and really make sure that we're always offering as much assistance as we can. You also serve the very large military establishment in San Antonio. And you yourself have a military affiliation. Your father was a military person. Uh, how do you come to be the chairman, um, I beg your pardon, the chief executive officer of an electric utility? Uh, how does that happen? How did that happen? Well, you know, my dad was actually a New Yorker, and um, but he decided that he wanted to serve his country. So um, San Antonio has always been an anchor for the military. He did his basic training here and met my mother, who was from a smaller town um, outside of San Antonio called Seguin. And um, it was divine intervention that he did, he loved Texas and decided to raise his family here. I am a military dependent. I'm a huge supporter of um, the, the military. They're, they're huge employers. They're, they are looking for innovation and innovative solutions in terms of how can they be very, very responsible in terms of their energy systems. They focus on resiliency as well as environmental responsibility and customer affordability. And it's just been an absolute pleasure to work with them. And, and not um, surprising, they also focus on the security 
of the energy systems, including the grid. So strategically, we've had great relationships with the generals that have come through here and um, extremely pleased with their leadership and their focus on comprehensively being part of our community for decades and decades and decades, and then leaning into this global quest to make sure that we're, we're innovating and using technology to maintain security uh, and, and reliability and resilience. It's, it's, a, it's a great partnership. Smart cities offer the possibility of using less electricity and getting more from it. Um, how do you see that playing out? What we're gonna have to do is change our systems to be uh, very open and, and the flow of data and the flow of power has to be a lot more robust. And again, this is where smart, smart systems and smart, smart communities will help inside a company and they will help individual users inside their homes and, and the use of their cars, electric vehicles, all those things. It's, it's almost like this huge comprehensive and deep ecosystem to be able to connect things that you've never been able to connect before, right at your fingertips. That's fascinating. I want to go back to Paula Gold-Williams in our last few minutes and bits that you didn't quite fill in, like how do you come to be the CEO when you're a trained accountant? Most CEOs in utilities are engineers or lawyers. Uh, what is the path to the top or was it the path to the top for Paula? Well, I didn't, I didn't set out to be in this industry to, to actually be the CEO. I mean, I, I was on my way to Houston to work for a food service company that I had been with for a while. And I'm an accountant. I have a lot of, a lot of uh, experiences in different industries, was an auditor for what at one time a big eight company. But I came here, Milton Lee was the general manager and CEO at the time. And he wanted to blend in again, the tried and true people who had a ton of experience with those who were from the outside. So I got, I got in this industry uh, over 16 years ago and I've been a student of it from the very, very beginning. Um, then I got to work for Doyle Benaby, who is a, an amazing leader who has a tremendous amount of traditional experience. Both of those leaders were in fact um, engineers, as you say. However, what they taught me is they taught me the discipline of the business. They taught me a lot about the strategy and the ability to move from the strategic to the detail. Um, Doyle would often say, you got to be able to go um, 10 layers deep on, a, on an item and really connect with your people and make sure that you're, you're paying attention to the fine points. Well, it, you know, engineering is like a second language for me. I know enough probably to be dangerous. I trust my people, but I also make sure that I go in and I follow with them how they're building their strategies, how they're building their initiatives. And, and that's what a CEO is able to do. I got the nod to be CEO about five years ago and appreciate it. And, I'm a, and I'm, I've been in learning mode ever since. And really now that the issues are very, very broad, you don't solve the issues solely through engineering, you solve them comprehensively across your enterprise and across your industry. So my skills ultimately have worked out to be exactly what CPS Energy needs right now. And I'm fortunate to serve them. All and we're fortunate to have you on this broadcast. Paula, good luck to you, more power to you and happy new year. That's our show for today. We're still under pandemic watch, so, you know, relax if you're at home. Don't have to wear a necktie, but do, whenever you go out, put your mask on. Cheers.
White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are there.